title of today's message is Praying to be filled with the fullness of God. Now the outline is going to go like this. Verses 14 and 15 is the introduction to this prayer. Verses 16 to 19 is the content of the prayer. And we will see the petitions. And verses 20 and 21 we see the conclusion of the prayer. Now seeing you here today and seeing you week after week is a very good possibility that you are someone who prays. Would that be fair to say? You're someone who prays. Now, if I asked you, you were asked, why is it that you pray? What would your answer be? Well, I asked that question to a couple of you this week. And I got a couple of answers. And they were all right answers and all very good answers. The first one I got was because I'm commanded to. Amen. Good. That works. That's right. I got an answer that prayer is a spiritual discipline that helps me grow. Sound familiar? The person knows who who told me that. It keeps me close to God was another answer. And it helps me be in the will of God. But one interesting answer was that prayer changes me. And as a Christian, you have and will experience change. All people experience change. But you will experience change into righteousness. You will experience change into Christ's likeness. And you are someone who is in the process of change for the rest of your life here on earth. But there are times, and today may be a time, where spiritually, the fullness of God and the power of God and the work of God, when you're looking at it objectively, not positionally, but experientially, could be more on the empty side than the full side. It happens. And while you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit, no question. You have the Holy Spirit. But today we ask this question, how much of the Holy Spirit, how much does the Holy Spirit have of you? Now today as we focus on this second prayer, it is a prayer of empowerment, spiritual empowerment, so we may be enabled to be who we are in Christ. The Christian is to be empowered unto the fullness of God. And this is a process. Christian, you know that you're in a process of self-discovery, self-discovery in Christ. It is a process. The Apostle Paul understood this. We are in the process of becoming who we already are. Ephesians very much amplifies this truth. And it takes God's grace to do so. It's an ongoing supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We are taught that the process must happen to be who you are in Christ. It must happen through prayer. And it will produce an understanding of who I am in Christ. It will produce a power to be who you are in Christ as well. Now, it comes by grace and it comes by prayer because prayer necessitates a reliance on God. And there are some things that only God can produce in you. And He already has. And He he continually will. Paul understood that. And that's why he would pray in this manner that we're going to see today. And we ought to pray as well. Paul would not just pray for himself, but he prayed for the various congregations to develop godly character. 
Christ-likeness, for wisdom, for discernment, for strength, to know God's love and to be in God's love. And ultimately, one of the points of this prayer at its core is that Paul would pray for these Ephesian people in this congregation and beyond then and here today in the 21st century that the Spirit of Christ would be the predominant influence in our lives. That is the will of God. And the will of God is always central in prayer. We see that in Matthew 6 when Jesus told the disciples how to pray. Pray the will of God. And always central to the will of God is ultimately the glory of God. Now looking back to chapter 1, when we looked at the first prayer, we see a couple of things that overlap in both of these prayers. Now the first prayer we saw in chapter 1, verses 15 to 22, what it is, Paul is, is praying for them, what it is to be in Christ. Coming to an accurate understanding of who we are, what has been given to us. He would pray for wisdom and revelation that we may know God better. And that is a great prayer as well. That is something that we ought to pray. And in verses 19 to 23 of that prayer, he would pray that we ought to know the resurrection of Christ, to understand it, the status of we have now sitting in the heavenly places with Christ. Understanding the power that we have, the power that raised Christ from the dead, we now possess in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first prayer you could say is, know who you are in Christ. Here today in the second prayer is, be who you are in Christ. And the second prayer is very appropriate in its placement because it comes at the end of this first half of the letter. The doctrinal portion now ends at chapter 3. And it acts as a bridge from positional to practical. From theology to practice. So, let's look at the first point, the introduction. We see in verses 14 and 15, Paul is saying, For this reason I bow my knee, knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, what reason? Paul is recapping. He's going back to chapter 2 to see all that God has done. Only God can do what we read in the second chapter. Raise dead people. Raise them spiritually, out of debt, spiritually to life. Now becoming the workmanship in Jesus Christ, called of God to do good works. We see that only God can put together the nations, Jew and Gentile, to make this new humanity called the church. This is a work of God. The unity, the unity between, the equality between Jew and Gentile. This was an amazing, empowering work of God. And it's Paul's desire that the Ephesians, and by implication us here today, walk in this truth, that we replicate this new identity that we have. Now Paul bends his knees to the Father, what the work of God has done causes Paul to bend his knees. It causes a humility. It causes a gratitude. 
making the request to the God who ordained this. He's praying to the God who caused all this. And it's an attitude of heart. We look at the posture of prayer. A humble disposition. And in both the Old and New Testament, we see different forms of prayer. We see prayer of people standing. We see people kneeling. We see people laying down in bed praying. That's not necessarily the importance of what Paul is doing here. Paul is kneeling to express a reverence. I'm in awe of you, God. I'm in awe of what you've done. Now I want to pray, Lord. That you continually do what you have done. Cause it to be a reality in the hearts of your people. Now, it's not just important to know why we pray. But equally important is to know who you pray to. Brothers and sisters, God is not just your imaginary friend. God is the creator of the universe. He is the eternal God. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. The triune Godhead accomplished your salvation for you and sustains your salvation as well. God who's revealed who He is and what He has done and He has revealed to us how we ought to pray in light of that. Therefore we pray the Lord's will be done. Now, May I suggest that when we pray, we come with this humility. We come with this reverence. And we come with this gratitude. We come with this joy. But there's something else here that Paul's going to pray in this text. Paul has something else going on here. And that is confidence. Christian, you can come to God today with confidence. When you pray the will of God, be confident. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked of Him. Do you pray with confidence? Do you pray the will of God? Do you have a correct understanding of the God that you're praying to? Now, who is Paul praying to? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The latter part of verse 14. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So, this is not without an interpretive nuance here. So let's clarify something. Some have taken this to mean the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, as the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, as God is Father of creation. Now, maybe you could say that. and Some have said, he's speaking about the whole family in heaven as the angels. And in the intertestamental period, Jewish intertestamental period and rabbinic literature refers to families of angels. Okay. It is true that God is creator. Colossians 1.16 For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers... Or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Yes, he's created all things, angels included. He is the creator of mankind. Amen? Acts 17 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. 
and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling. But not all men can call God Father. Because not all men and women are children of God. And we learned very early on in Ephesians chapter 2. All men, apart from the atoning work of Jesus Christ, are children of disobedience, children of wrath. Only believers, only those who now have the Spirit of God, are His children. John 1.13, for as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe on his name. So in this text here, this is the he's praying to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named. The whole family are those in Christ. Those who are in heaven, who have passed on, who have been born of the Spirit, and those here in the earth. It is not speaking about, in my estimation, Father of all creation. He is Father of all creation, but he is a Father of those who have called Christ their Lord. All born of spirit. Now, you might have been born into a family of different ethnic nationalities. And he is done a work throughout the world that we often don't realize. How he has worked after over seven continents, the Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've been born now to a family that contains ethnic Jews, ethnic Arabs, there's Chinese people, there's Italian people, there's Irish people, there's, there's all kinds of people, there's German people, there's Spanish people. This is part of this family. This is part of the family. And the common denominator is those born of the Spirit. He is father to those who are born of the Spirit. And we see a family portrait of this. Not the entire family, but a family portrait in Revelation 7-9. This is John writing, After these I looked, and behold, a great multitude from which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands. So in the introduction to this prayer, Paul recounts the great work that God has done, approaches the Almighty God with reverence who did this, who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging His sovereignty. And he's acknowledging the children of God to whom this prayer is for. It's for the church. Now we get to the second point, verses 16 to 19, the content of the prayer. There are four things that I'm going to highlight here. There are four requests made, and we'll look at them now briefly, but they all are coincide one to another. So, the four requests, the four particular things we see is that these church, the family of God, may be strengthened in the inner man. That they experience the indwelling of Christ. That they comprehend the love of Christ, and that they be filled unto the fullness of of God. You see, there are four requests, but one request leads into the other. It's kind of like four pieces of a puzzle. Individually, they all fit together. It's like a building block. A building block on itself, what is that? That's a building block, but the building block makes up a sum. It's kind of like the individual parts are not greater than the sum. 
in this prayer. I believe the climax of the prayer resolves in this fullness, and we'll talk about this. But he prays that in the inner man, they may have spiritual strength. This will lead to a deeper experience with Christ, enabling them to apprehend and function in the love of Christ. And as a result, it'll be a fuller life in Christ. There are practical implications here as we are going to see in verses 4 and in chapters 4 to 6, God willing. It's the empowerment for the Christian living individually and corporately as the church. So the first request, before we get to that, he would appeal to the riches of his glory. Verse 16. That God, He is God, would grant you according to the riches of His glory. Now, in prayer, we see it quite a bit in the Psalms, David will often appeal to a characteristic of God or an attribute. How often does David appeal to the loving kindness of God or the justice of God? Paul here is appealing to the riches of His glory. We see the riches five times in Ephesians, this word, and the glory eight times in the letter. Christian, you have been adopted into the family of God, a very wealthy family, spiritually speaking. Infinitely wealthy. You are part of a family with the Father that owns all. And God has blessed you with the spiritual riches that we saw in chapter 1 for His purposes and for His glory. There is a reservoir of wealth that God has to answer the prayer that we're going to see here today. And he provides instruction, and he provides power. Now the first request is the catalyst request. Number one, first petition, verse 17, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Power! Dynamos. It's where we get the Greek word, where we get the word dynamite. It's power that you have. It's an ability to do or accomplish. And the power comes from where you guessed it, the Holy Spirit. God's presence with us. Now, Paul's in praying for an empowerment in the inner man. Now, what is the inner man or inner person, some translations will render it? Well, basically, Paul uses the word in Romans twice. He speaks of the mind. It could connote the mind and or the heart. And Paul would classify the outward body as the material, the physical, and the inward as the spiritual. And we see that in 2 Corinthians. Though the outer man is decaying, the inward man is being renewed. Now you could be here today and be weak physically. You could be hurt. You could have an injury. And you could be growing older in your age. But you can and ought to be strengthened in the inner man. You can. And this is part of the prayer that we may deeply experience the presence of Christ himself. Experience is not a bad word, folks. This is part of the prayer. Not just knowing cognitively, not just knowing in mind, but also knowing in heart. Experience. And the second request is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Isn't he already in our hearts through faith? Sure he is. Jesus said, He is in our hearts. What did Jesus say in John 14, 15, 17? The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, 
for he dwells with you and will be with you. Romans 8, 9, if you are saved, born of the Spirit, you have the Spirit of God. But Paul is speaking about something more than just Christ dwelling, the Spirit of Christ dwelling. Now, this, is, this text, we have to go into the Greek a little bit. There are a couple of words in the New Testament for dwell. One of them is parakeo, and that's a temporary residency, like a foreigner in a foreign land. We see Colossians 3.16, a very familiar passage. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And that word is an in, okeo, to dwell in one and influence for good. So let the word of God influence you, absolutely. But the, the word used here is very, very important. The correct word is katkoiteo. It's a permanent residence of fullness. This word is the ultimate dwelling. And let me explain what it means. That Christ would govern your inner person. Christ would be the predominant influence. Now Christ already has residency. Christ is the owner of the inner man of the heart and the mind. But does Christ experientially sometimes come and go as a stranger in his own temple, in his own house? He's already dwelling in our hearts. And the prayer is not the acquisition of this, but the fullness of this. So, a permanent residence, the fullness, the predominant influence would be the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us. Is that happening? It could be positionally, but experientially is it happening. All these things should be in a greater measure. So why pray? Because the greater measure of such power, the greater measure of Christ's predominant ruling and the love will only come by prayer. The Spirit's enablement will cause this. And we see the third request here is a greater awareness of His love. And love occupies a prominent role in this prayer, and we're going to spend some time in it. First of all, that you be rooted and grounded in love. This is a planted, deep, like an agricultural metaphor. A permanent sense of love. A stability. Bringing us into a deeper understanding of love. And we read in verse 18. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So we're trying to comprehend something that's incomprehensible. But, hold on for a minute. Now in the immediate context, this was a congregation that had love. Because we see that in chapter 1, verse 15. And Paul commended them for it. But these were people that were odds without, at odds with each other at one point. There were a lot of division there. There was a cultural, social divide. There was deep racial issues that were happening in with the Ephesians. And they have to come over some obstacles. Now we have the love of Christ in us. But when we speak about knowing what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, that is the starting point, first and foremost. Before we get into how this should operate, we have to have some sense of understanding. And we can understand this to some extent. This love began in eternity past. 
This love is eternal. This love is infinite. And this love now makes its way to the four corners of the earth, in a multitude of centuries, to thousands of peoples, millions of peoples, for thousands of years, spanning seven continents. This love transcends time. This love is beyond any sort of human love. It's like an ocean. I could say to you, I went in the Atlantic Ocean yesterday. I went into my waist. I was in the ocean. But then you look at the rest of the ocean and you're not even touching the immensity of that ocean. The love is greater than the ocean because the love is infinite. Now as Paul is asking them to, to comprehend this, this is an incalculable way to comprehension, comprehend something. However passionate your love and understanding for God is, God's love is far more greater for you than your love for Him. Realize that. It's amazingly far above our love. It's infinite. It's covenantal. It's a gift. Now, we could fathom the love so far. It's eternal. We saw that in Ephesians 1.4. And God caused this love. God initiated this love. And God sustains this love and this relationship He has with you. But the reality is our love, our affection for the things of God and God can diminish. It can waver. But you have to understand something. Even in those times that God's love is stronger, that nothing can separate you from His love. I'm going to read it. Romans 8, 38-39. Rememorize this scripture. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life no angels, no principalities, no powers, no things present, no things to come, no height, no depth, no any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will never cease loving you. And nothing can separate you. So, we're trying to come to terms with this immense love to the best of our ability. And when we do that, to some extent, we find that we will cherish this love. And we, the Holy Spirit will enable us to operate in this love, to practice this love. It's beyond comprehension. To fully understand, it's like a... You can understand love, and you can understand the love of God, but this is like a, a second grade math student trying to understand college trigonometry. It's too high. But what we have been given, we ought to grasp and ask and pray that we operate in this love. Understand, this is a love that was lavished upon you. And Paul is praying that we get a better grasp of this love. And the love you have for God will manifest itself in obedience. A God-wrought, spiritful obedience. Now, the bride of Christ. God loves His church. Do you love Christ? Christ loves the church far above any love we have. And it's something that is beyond our comprehension. So, we see now all of these elements. The strength. We see that Christ, the power of God dwelling in us. We see the love of God. 
that we will come to a greater understanding so that, in verse 19, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All of these elements parallel one to another. First we get the strength, then we understand the fullness, then we come to the love of God. And now we see, as verse 19 says, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now what we could gather from Ephesians up to this point, the first three chapters, and I've told you this, your salvation is way more than a get-out-of-hell card. It's relational. It's experiential. It's in the here and now. Not simply saved, but overflowing. Not simply saved, but exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit. A fullness, a deepness, not simply saved, getting out of hell, but walking in a manner worthy of our calling, in a maturity, in a stability, in a joy, regardless of circumstances. This is the work of the Spirit, and this comes by prayer. Now, why pray the fullness of God? Did we pray that maybe a year ago? What happened? Well, brethren, I hate to break it to you, we leak. We leak. We go through life. We're leaky vessels. That's why we need the constant filling. That's why it's important we're here each week. That's why it's important we're praying. That's why it's important we're employing the spiritual disciplines. But one of the primary ones here we see is prayer. Now, what prohibits you from experiencing this fullness of God? Prohibits you could easily prohibit me. Christ dwells in our hearts. Amen? Amen. What else dwells in our hearts? Now Christ, we looked at that word where he has full residency. Okay? Where Christ is the owner of your heart. But is he sometimes like a stranger that comes and goes on the weekends? Is he sometimes invited to events that happen in our heart and sometimes he doesn't get an invitation? What prevents you from experiencing this fullness of God? Are we just comfortable where we are? After the last year and a half, I I get this fullness of God, but I, I just, I'm happy where I am. I'm apprehensive to take anything else on. You want me to pray more for the fullness of God? Yes, life will become easier when we have the fullness of God and walking in the power of God. Be challenges, but not but I, but Christ in me. That's what I want. So the strength in the inner person implies that Christ will govern the heart. That word, okay, for dwell is that Christ will govern the course of a person's life. This comes by prayer. And another reason that we often don't come to experiencing the fullness of God is not really understanding who this God is that is our God. There's a spiritual ignorance for sometimes we lack. The God who has bled for us is the very same God who spoke the galaxies into existence. For whom do you pray to, Christian? We must come to an 
appropriate understanding of who this God is and what He has done. And one of the reasons that we have to pray is because we need the power to yield. Power comes by submission in this kingdom. We yield to Christ's power. And this comes to a person by prayer. So now we see the conclusion of the prayer in verses 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul concludes the first half of the letter the way he began. In chapter 1 verse 3 with this glorious doxology with praise to this God. The sovereign God who caused your salvation? The sovereign God who works in you. The sovereign God who lavished His love upon you. What He has done in eternity past. What He continues to do. What He will do in eternity present. And we climax this letter here with the power of God. The overwhelming power of God. Brethren, it's easy for us to just go through life as the church, 266 Tottenville, we don't realize the immensity of our salvation. Do you know what God did for you? You could never do this for yourself. And this is the greatest thing that could happen to a human being. God did this. God caused this. Now, what He's accomplished is beyond their expectations. Have you ever heard the phrase, don't limit God? I, I like the chutzpah behind that. I like the thought behind that. I don't know how correct that is, but I like the thought behind it. I think it's more accurate to say, don't limit yourself in God. And I think we can limit. But what extent could the finite we limit the infinite God? We must understand that he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. We must come to terms with the power in us and what he has already done. You who were far, he brought near. You who were dead, he made alive. Only God could have done this. And what we're going to see now, going forward, is what he did in the establishment of the church. The mystery has been revealed and now the church is made up of the nations. Very important to God. Only God could have done this. And this is a power of God that works in you and is still working. And God has given you glorious riches. But there's more. It gets better. A very generous God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.9, Things which eye has not seen... No, an ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Gets better. There's more. Brethren, when we pray, are we asking for things according to the will of God? Are we asking for empowerment of God to be who God wants us to be? To be who we are called to be? Are we praying for the person next to us to the very same thing? To be who they're called to be as we go through life 
individually, but corporately as the church. And to be the glory in the church, verse 21, and in Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever, amen. To Him, to God, be this glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. There's a relationship there between the church and Christ Jesus. He's the head. We are the body. We are the bride. He is the groom. see this in Ephesians. We are called to glorify God. The church means so much to God. And the church in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's an eternal plan of God. And you are part of the eternal plan of God in the here and now. Praise the Lord. In closing, do you desire a fuller life in Christ? Okay, I think we can come back to a strengthening in the inner man, the experiencing the indwelling of Christ, where Christ rules your inner man, your heart, that you may comprehend and flow in the love of Christ and be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you desire this? Is Christ ruling our heart? Is Christ ruling your heart? Does He have preeminence in your heart? The prayer today is for God's empowerment. And with the empowerment comes an enablement to function in such a way that is very practical. Very practical in our day-to-day Christianity. And I know You're saying, pray for the fullness of God, glorify God. I'm just trying to get through another day here. This is crazy what's going on here. But I think we ought to do this and have a greater sense of the presence of God in us and will strengthen us and give us clarity to live in such times. So let's pray with understanding, first and foremost, who this God is what He has done for us, what He desires for us. And you could desire this from Him. And we can have a fuller life in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let's pray. And after prayer, we're going to have communion. Father God, thank You for this tremendous prayer, Lord. Thank You, Lord, that we are Your people. You are doing a work in us, Lord. You've invested much in us. You care for us. We're considered a gift. We are your inheritance, Lord. Your people, your church, your bride. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would empower us, Lord, two ways. Those who desire this, Lord, empower us to walk worthy in a manner of the calling of which you've called us. To walk in the power, to walk in unity, to walk in love, to walk in strength. But Father, for those, Lord, who need reviving, as we sung of this morning, revive them, Lord. Give them a desire, Lord, to pray this prayer. That they would desire the predominant influence of Christ to be in their hearts. That they would yield to the Spirit. And they would have a fuller life in Jesus Christ. Amen.